0: episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. Now, William Mitchell Audio was a smart company, and they entrusted me to create a brand new theme song for their business. Now, last week's episode, I made a really great theme song right off the top of my head, but we had some speed bumps with NBC. They're claiming they had some kind of TV show in the 80s called Chars or Chairs or something. Doesn't matter, but they're saying they own it. Fine. You know what? I'm a genius. I'm going to make another song right now. Ready? Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you threw a party and invited everyone you knew. You would see the biggest gift would be from William WilliamMitchellAudio.com. Go to WilliamMitchellAudio.com.
1: Cool. All right.
0: My guest today is Joel Briere, or Joel the Entheogenic Yogi. He's the founder and CEO of the psychedelic wellness company, Kaivalya Collective. Joel has been a pioneer in the modern psychedelic movement, specifically in the realm of 5-MeO-DMT and the Bufo-Alvarius Toad. His unique approach of applying classical, non-dual yogic philosophy as geography for both preparation and integration from the entheogenic experience gained attention around the world at the first WBAC, meaning world, Bufo Alvarez Congress and continues to shift the landscape of psychedelic use. Joel works specifically in the retreat setting and with over a decade of experience has curated a can <laughs> I always mess up bios, <laughs> a container that is meant to facilitate lasting change, drawing from a combination of Eastern as well as contemporary Western integrative practices. These retreats give participants a safe space to Wait, a, safe, a space to safely unfold, address trauma, undergo cathartic release, and have the support system to hold them through the whole process. With a heavy focus on integration and aftercare, participants are able to create lasting change and find deeper states of peace than they thought conceivable. While Cavalio Collective remains the parent company, the subsidiary running these treats is called Tondava Retreats. Joel, I'm so sorry. That is... <laughs> But like <laughs> honestly, I don't know how, how many, if you've ever heard many episodes of this podcast, but I have butchered bios so much worse than that. So I'm actually, I'm not mad at myself.
1: <laughs> I'm actually kind of bummed that mine wasn't the worst, you know, if, if you were going to do it, I mean, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the cool thing though, uh, right before we started, I was going to, a- I asked you to uh, help me pronounce everything and I had already was pronouncing them correctly. So one yeah, point for me it. so far, <laughs> But, yo, yo, let's get into it. And I, uh, yep. I have to start with this question, man, specifically because you work in a, in a realm of uh, psychedelics that I'm unfamiliar with because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only familiar mostly with uh, psilocybin and LSD. And yeah. I initially wanted to ask if you would describe what 5-MEO-DMT uh, and bufo alvarius are and also, you know, what are some of their merits and how they maybe differ from you know, more common psychedelics, like.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you, brother. So 5-MeO-DMT, which is also the active ingredient in the bufa alvarius um, toad secretion, which is found in the Sonoran desert is the most powerful psychedelic compound known to man. They call it the God molecule. And even though it has the word DMT in its name, do not confuse it with DMT. When people talk about regular DMT, which can be smoked and is also the visionary component in ayahuasca, that is NNDMT. And although NNDMT and 5-MeO-DMT are chemically structured very similarly, the experience is vastly different. And so what makes 5-MeO-DMT so special, what makes it stand out from all the rest of the psychedelics is that in its peak experience, experience, um, participants may go into what we call a non-dual state. So they may experience a complete dissolution of the sense of self, their individual identity. Scientifically, this is known as the default mode network. the certain areas of the brain, which are essentially, which are what give us the experience of being a separate individual human. Those go offline. So our entire sense of self goes down and we get to experience what is on the other side of that, which is the ineffable great mystical, the unknowable, the boundless infinite. And so 5-MEO-DMT can lead to the true and classical mystical experience. People throw around the term ego death quite a lot, but very few people actually know what an ego death really is. And an ego death is that full dissolution, that full cessation of the individual self to where there is no subject-object relationship, there is no this or that, there is no separation In fact, there isn't anything because anything would imply separation or an other. So it is just pure, unadulterated, boundless awareness. So it's a, it's quite an experience.
0: That's awesome. You know, actually, I, and I've heard the term uh, ego death uh, several times from friends of mine and people that have like gone down that path and done that experience. And like I said before, like my experiences are, you know, a lot more pedestrian and, you know, I'm sure that you, you know, I know that DMT is definitely like, it's, that's the top of the, the food chain <laughs> or so to speak, Yeah. but, but uh, you know, like, but I, you know, I've had like, you know, I've had some pretty good trips, you know, with like, uh, mushrooms, LSD and things where I, you know, I do, mm-hmm. I felt like I was starting to understand things that you just don't see. It's something that you have a block in a way, mm-hmm. as, you know, just in your day-to-day life. But I guess, uh, another question would be just about the Bufo Avelier. Um, sorry, sorry. The 5MEO DMT and the Bufo Avelarius. Is that how you, um, obtain it Is it, is it actually come from a frog?
1: You know, we actually worked with the synthetic material uh, lab made. We had worked with both for a long time and we used to get our source from Sonoran Desert. Um, however, unfortunately, you know, this medicine grew in popularity quite a bit over the past six to seven years. And, you know, the, there's just not enough toads to really make it sustainable. So toads were getting over milked, um, over over harvested. Um, the medicine is stored in their peritotal glands and they have six glands and you really generally only should milk two of them. But people were milking all six of them, leaving these toads with no defense mechanisms for them going back out into nature. They were being taken out of their homes and the buffo varius generally never leaves a 50 kilometer radius or 50 meter radius from where, it was, uh, from where it was born. And so they're getting relocated. There's a new fungus that's been being spread around the toads because people aren't using gloves, all types of bad things that are happening to it. So we prefer to use the pure molecule. Um, also, we know exactly how much we're serving someone because the toad secretion could have anywhere from ten percent five meo to thirty percent five meo, and we want to make sure we know exactly how much we're giving you.
0: I support that one hundred percent for more for for more than one reason. One, uh, I am an animal lover, and you know, and yeah. I, I'm very environmentally conscious, and I just hate when any for any reason for any species to start being threatened, you know. But
1: mm-hmm. at the same time,
0: like exactly. uh, just going to mushrooms, that's a, that's It's a different thing, but it's the same deal. You you never know how powerful a mushroom is going to be. If someone's like, here's an eighth of mushrooms, you don't know specifically, you know, what are the milligrams of psilocybin (laughs) in that that eighth of mushrooms or whatever. But anyway, that's a, that was a great answer, man. And I was, I was very curious. Uh, I, I did not know that the, the, the DMT was actually the same thing that that frog secretes, which is amazing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Does that, uh, occur anywhere else in nature?
1: Yeah, so 5-MeO-DMT is in a few different plants. Um, it's in Varola, it is in uh, Vilca, um, both of which are down, uh, down in the Amazon. It is in Yopo, which is a seed in the Amazon. Um, and that one's a wild one. That's got a whole cocktail of other tryptamines in it as well, including NN-DMT. Uh, it is in the human body. Um, it is endogenously produced in our lungs, in the soft tissue of the eyes, and as well as the small kidney, I believe, uh, and some other places. But it is another one of those compounds that we see all over nature and uh, seems to have some direct connection with consciousness itself, perhaps, who knows?
0: I mean, uh, for one thing, absolutely shout out to you know, protecting the Amazon rainforest because there are probably untold mm-hmm. medicines we could find. You know, the cure to cancer could be down there and you know, we need people to stop, slash and burn farming down there, it's, that's an atrocity. But I I heard this and this is uh, and I'm not sure if this is like a myth or if it's true or not but uh, isn't and like you said that DMT occurs naturally in the body and I was aware of that but I've heard people say that it is uh, it's released upon death is that is that just like a myth it's like
1: so it was a theory put forward by Dr. Rick Straussman in the late 90s and that theory kind of got got taken as fact because the doctor said it. So a lot of people kind of thought it was, it was what was going on. So it got circulated around a lot of different kind of, um, you know, all over the in, in different areas. So it was definitely a little bit more of a myth. There has been some newer studies though. I haven't seen anything conclusive, but from what I'm hearing, there are things pointing towards that there, that could be what's happening. Um, though to my, the best of my knowledge, um, there's no conclusive evidence on if endogenous NN or 5-MeO-DMT is being released at birth. However, you know, um, those, experience are, those experiences are very uh, in line with near-death experiences. Absolutely.
0: And actually, before I move forward with these next questions, I guess we should go ahead and define the word entheogenic uh, before yeah. I start just using it in sentences because it's, <laughs> it's not a commonly used word. Uh, would you do that for me?
1: Absolutely. So the term entheogen means that which allows us to experience God within something that allows us to experience our own spark of divinity or our own light within us. And, um, you know, as uh, the late James Auroch said, 5-MeO-DMT is the only true entheogen because in its peak experience, it is the only one that allows us to, in a very visceral and raw way, experience ourselves as not just our individual self, but as, you know, whether we want to call it the Higgs boson particle, whether we want to call it You know the akashic field the the quantum field there's many different words from many different lineages but it is um this medicine is a direct way to experience literal infinity and infinity is something we can understand we can't even really understand it conceptually but we can understand the word conceptually but to truly experience vast boundless consciousness that is not bound by space or time is one of the most uh, life-changing experiences a human can have, hands down. It is, um, you know, these are things that we hear nice sentiments and platitudes about, you know, that we're all connected and that we're all one, etc. But to truly experience it in a real way to something that the mind cannot doubt, to something that the mind cannot make a story of, is, um, you know, that is the classical gnosis, uh, ex- uh, knowledge via experience. That is that, um, that classical initiation That, you know, was sought after for millennia up until 2000 years, many societies and civilizations had some sort of initiation that involved an entheogenic medicine and a death and rebirth process, you know, and they said, especially with the mystery schools of Ulysses, which was a 2000 year running tradition, unbroken running tradition from Greece up into Rome and got taken out by the church. Um, You know, theirs, they used what they called kukion or kikion as their entheogen, which is now thought to be uh, similar to LSD, high dose LSD. But they had a full death and rebirth experience and it was said to be what held humanity together you know that not just thinking that we're connected but the true experiential knowledge that this grand mystery is so much deeper than we ever could imagine with our minds it's uh, it's comforting <laughs>
0: it's interesting uh, you would say infinity as a concept too as well because uh one of my own personal experiences and it definitely was nowhere near in the realm of ego death or anything, and it was just with uh just traditional lsd but i was uh sitting in some sand and i was uh holding a handful of sand basically and it was the closest i ever really got to understanding or not not understanding but you know uh instead of thinking of infinity as an abstract concept that none of us can really ever grasp Mm -hmm. i was looking at the sand and thinking like well what if each what if each grain of sand was a a universe unto itself and inside that universe there was everything that that was contained in this universe and on some very tiny beach somewhere in there there were all those grains of sand and it went infinitely in both directions and for a
1: moment life's fractal nature
0: for a for a brief moment i got it and i was like yes and i held on to it for as long as i could Uh, the thing is uh, and a lot of people that haven't had these experiences are like one of the uh one of the sad things is you can have a thought like that in order a profound experience, but it's, you know, a week later, it's almost like it's a dream you had and it's yeah. it's no longer there. It's no longer solid. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Because the, you know, these, these substances, these medicines allow us to, you know, to shut down certain areas of the brain, certain areas of the mind that always that are you know, known to categorize, to make systems and story of, and some of these mysteries are beyond categorization. They're beyond the mind. So we can only really understand them when those certain parts of the mind are inactive or when different parts of the brain are commuting communicating together and it's interesting what you said that uh that infinite experience you had you know that really speaks to the fractal nature of existence and there's a you know a um a story a hindu yogic uh, um kind of tale that goes along with that their way of describing that is indra's net of jewels or indra's web of jewels and so it's you know like a spider web and on each corner of the spider web there's a water droplet or a dew droplet and in that droplet is the reflection of the entire web and in the in the droplets in the reflection are the reflections of the entire web and so it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper and everything is um it's wild when you start to really attempt to wrap your mind around the fractal nature of the universe it's it's pretty uh mind melting i'd say
0: yeah for sure and then you know like (laughs) and if you and if you're just you know academically trying to think about it, it's just uh it's almost an exercise exercise in futility
1: trying yeah, to think yeah. that way.
0: Uh <laughs> if you don't mind, man, I'll just like I have a personal question. And I mean, mm-hmm. uh if you if you care to share, it's just uh I wanted to ask you what were some of your earliest experiences with psychedelics before you, be, you became more immersed in the entheogenic process?
1: It's a hardcore. Um Recreational psychonaut back in the 90s. Um, you know, I was getting my hands on everything I could. And first time I I took LSD, I think I was 14, uh, but I took it right before going to summer school, and had a, you know had an amazing experience. And I just went from there. And I mean, I, I went pretty hard. When I was a teenager, I was eating you know upwards of 15 to 20 hits of acid at a time, and uh, I just really wanted to go as far and deep as I could. I was very uh, intrigued by the world of substances, and I was very 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 Intrigued on where these psychedelics could take you. I was reading, you know, all the Carlos Castaneda books back then, Timothy Leary's books, and all this Huxley and stuff. But you know, simultaneously, I was into all other substances too. You know, I had a pretty solid heroin habit then, crack habit, everything you could think of. You know, I just really enjoyed getting high. You know, when it comes yeah, to man. it, yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you know, I was you know going on these super hard trips back then. But then they started going a little dark. You know, I wasn't really addressing the issues that were coming up in my life, and I was. You know, a, a late teenager at this point, and my life was in shambles. I was getting, you know, arrested all the time. Was in and out of jail. Was dealing with addictions and you know all the things that comes with the criminal underworld, and uh, and so every time I would have a hard trip, then you know, it, you know, the medicine was trying to show me things about my life that needed adjusting. But I, you know, I didn't really understand understand that that was how it worked back then. So I just, you know, had bad experiences, and then I ended up getting off all substances after my last time going into jail, and you know, kind of cleaned up completely. And uh, a few years later, I found yoga, I found yoga and meditation. That's where I found kind of the bulk of my healing. I moved to the Caribbean, to the Virgin Islands, and then was reintroduced to psychedelics around 2007 by my two teachers there. And, you know, this time reapproaching psychedelics while having some sort of system of self-inquiry under my belt, like some sort of technique to be able to look at my own patterning, see my own demons and not run and scream, you know, it was a, it was a completely different game this time. And then from there, I just got to kind of travel around the world and study under, you know, amazing medicine people and teachers and stuff. But, yeah, in the beginning, it was just it was it was recreational, but, you know, explorative. I was uh, I was really, really interested in the places I was going and was interested in going really deep. I first tried 5MEO about 20 years ago. You know, back then you could order off the Internet. It was completely legal. And um, but I barely even remember my experience then. Um, But, yeah, we can say that all i've always had a deep uh, affection towards psychedelics
0: (laughs) i think in a way you you almost just inadvertently maybe answered some of the questions i might ask later but uh but essentially why there is a need and a purpose for a safe place to uh experience you know uh dmt or whatever mushrooms or whatever you might want to whatever medicine you may be taking you know uh, but like I totally understand what you're saying like if you're in a dark place especially if you're you know doing everything and then you you trip and then you're and then you're paranoid you know because you're worried about yeah. the police you're not learning shit you're just you know what I mean it's you <laughs> yeah. know if you if you take some mushrooms <laughs> and then you spend the entire time worried the police are going to come fuck your life up and also they, they also <laughs> they become 10,000 times more terrifying you know oh, yeah. your mind they become uh the like, you know monsters from a book you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I think you uh, mentioned some of this uh, a little bit too, just like as far as like influences of uh, some of the authors you were saying, like Carlos Castaneda, which you know, I th- <laughs> he would be one of the most famous people for sure. And obviously Timothy O'Leary would be like the most famous person as far as I know, besides like maybe McKenna, but who were some of your influences that inspired you to become a teacher and a facilitator?
1: Excellent. I will, uh, yeah, I'll give that. And then I'll I'll actually lead into the question you would just ask because I kind of didn't even answer your previous question. Okay. (laughs) So my influences, my influences, you know, uh, above or aside from the ones we mentioned, um, I would say a big one was um, Rak Rizam out of Australia. um, Had a podcast running for a long time called In a Perfect World. Um, Kind of guerrilla journalist, just really awesome guy and a medicine man himself. Um, he was a big influence to me, definitely. And then there's another group called the Temple of Awakened Divinity. Um, it's an underground uh, church um, church organization that serves the sacrament 5MEO DMT in a very well thought out, well-constructed container. Um, there were big influences for me. And, you know, one of the reasons that I became a practitioner, you know, one was, oh, it kind of just shifted. You know, I'd been a teacher now for about 15 years. Um, teaching yoga, meditation, breath work, um, you know, various forms of spiritual self-inquiry. And when plant medicines were reintroduced to me, I started assisting in ceremonies around the world and started working with the medicines. And then it wasn't until maybe 2013 um, that I was feeling very drawn to working with DMT, regular DMT. And at that time, there was no DMT anywhere to be found where I was living. And this was kind of right when the psychedelic renaissance was uh, just starting to kick up. Um, So I, you know, I learned how to make DMD and I started extracting it. And, you know, naturally I started serving it to some of my friends and, um, you know, naturally because I was, had a background in teaching, I would lead them in with some meditation first, you know, do some breath work to regulate the nervous system first, different things like that. And, you know, it kind of really worked and those started turning into bigger ceremonies. Um, Then a lot of focus started going around integration and I started doing some training for integration. Um, Not that long later, a couple of years later, you know, I ended up Uh, Hosting integration circles in LA, but you know, initially I had gone down to Peru to learn how to serve ayahuasca with the Shipibo tribe, and you know, was in there getting it done. And uh, I got a pretty powerful message in one of my journeys that was just essentially saying that no, ayahuasca is not your medicine to be serving. You know, this is a very cultural medicine with with heavy attachments to everything cultural, and it's it's its own thing. And it said this isn't what you need to be serving. You know exactly what you're supposed to be serving. And I, and I was terrified because 5 MEO DMT was very intimidating for me to think about serving because it is so powerful, because it does require so much knowledge and understanding from the practitioner. And I was uh, not really ready to step up to the plate yet. But it was, um, it was very, you know, it, show, it was showing me how, you know, the peak experience with five, as I said, is that full cessation of self. That is the peak experience of yoga. The word yoga in itself means union with the divine. The entire system of yoga is a geography in which we can understand the patterning that keeps us separate. And it's literally a way to manual hack that experience. My first, you know, experience like that happened in an ashram in India, and there was no psychedelics involved. So it was showing me how, you know, five is a very new medicine. There's no indigenous history of use. There's many people that want to say now that, you know, it was a hidden Mesoamerican secret, but there's no evidence to show this whatsoever, you know, beyond 30 years ago with the guy from Arizona, you know, uh, or somewhere in the States doing it for the first time. But, um, you know, the, the five MEO scene was a mess years ago. It still kind of is now, but, um, it was like the wild, wild West. And it was showing that geographies were needed geographies that were needed for preparation and integration, because it was so much bigger than the other medicines. And so I ended up training with, um, a few of my mentors and a few amazing practitioners, uh, to serve that medicine and kind of transition from serving DMT ceremonially to, a to serving five and then i'd already been hosting retreats for you know since about 11 years ago so we started incorporating those into the retreats maybe six seven years ago something like that
0: i I like what you uh what you just said too about there being a a psychedelic renaissance because i see that too happening Mm -hmm. and oh yeah uh, uh, most i guess notably would be uh like michael poland and and the the microdosing movement all all that and these you know michael poland's uh you know uh, New York times, bestselling author, extremely well-respected, you know, and because, you know, because of the work of a lot of pioneers, it took a lot of risks, you know, now this can be mainstream. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Like, and Absolutely. I guess, you know, you know, Timothy Leary was treated like a, you know, a common criminal or, or, or mm-hmm. Ken Kessie, you know, definitely yeah. Ken Kesey cause he got put in jail, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess like, uh, This actually just leads us in perfectly to what I wanted to ask next uh, was just that Mm. uh, how did the Kaivalya Collective get started?
1: Oh man, so it kind of just evolved. It was a slow trickle rather than an emergence. So, you know, um, I was leading my yoga company kind of, I had so many different names for it that kind of just changed every few years and then started leading, I think it started off with Samadhi Retreats maybe about seven years ago, we started leading the medicine retreats under the name Samadhi Retreats. And then I think that kind of shifted at some point and to it's all source. And then it's all source was kind of my company. I was the face of it. It was my retreats and I was bringing other people on. And um, a couple of years ago, I just started to really feel drawn to taking myself out of the kind of, you know, taking myself off the front page and make it about a team rather than about myself. I saw this happening all over the medicine community where everyone was just trying to be a superstar everyone was trying to be like a wizard shaman and with a huge instagram following except they weren't you know paying any attention to their offerings they weren't making it about the participants and so i realized you know if i wanted to continue to scale this like i had been and reaching as many people as we have i needed to bring on way more people that could hold way a way bigger containers so bringing an integration special a vast team of integration specialists bringing on more medicine practitioners that have expertise in different areas bringing on you know different expert yoga teachers and meditation teachers and bringing on all these different people
0: yeah so no, no man is an island ago. man it's uh and that,
1: exactly it's,
0: it's uh it's it's exactly you know what you're saying too it's i would be suspicious of anyone who's like well i'm going to show you the way uh yeah. to uh to <laughs> understand your ego While i'm literally <laughs> like my entire <laughs> thing is that i have an image and an ego to uphold so i mean that would be I am the only person that can show you this path. And that's, you know, this is a, it's a cooperative effort, right?
1: Exactly. And the idea is that all paths lead to the same place. You know, all the, all these different religions, spiritual modalities, spiritual lineages, they're just different lenses. They're just different lenses through which we can attempt to experience something that is beyond the mind, different ways to experience this mystery. And so different participants are going to be drawn to different types of lenses. And that's why we keep a wide array of tools, a wide array of practitioners with varying skill sets so we can meet participants where they're at rather than making it about us in our philosophical standpoint. Because at the end of the day, it's all the same shit. You know, all, these, all the religions and spiritual views all have the perennial philosophy within them. They're, there's all the same core constructs. There's just different clothes. And so, um, you know, recognizing that and kind of honoring everyone's individual path, you know, on this and just really continuing to make it about the participant is what we aim to do.
0: It reminds me of uh um, and I, I maybe uh, i I might even miss uh misname this church it's, it's not really a church but it's uh, I think it's called the it's the one where it's Unitarian where we,
1: universalist
0: yeah where where you believe that there are many paths on the way to truth so that you don't you don't discount anyone's religion in particular like yeah. you don't say that Buddhists are wrong or that Muslims are wrong or that Christians are wrong you said that everyone is potentially right or that we can all be right if we're if we're all in you know, it does that make sense i i'm not yeah, super absolutely. familiar with the absolutely. with that church i just, i had a professor once of philosophy who uh was telling me about that and i was like shit man if, if i was gonna have a religion i think i would choose that one because
1: right yeah I, exactly. I feel like
0: i can respect people of all religions and as long as they can respect me yeah. back right
1: <laughs> yeah and the, you know the thing is once when someone has a true to life religion religious experience you know what this experience that, that is the peak experience of 5meo the yogis call it nirvikalpa samadhi the buddhists call it nirvana christians and catholics call it the beatific vision in islam they call it fitra there's an and fena there's a different word in every faith for the essential surrendering of the self to realize your wholeness you know the sufis called it the drop re, um, the drop rejoining the ocean and um it's you know it's a very big dramatic experience but when you have the experience you know upon coming out that okay this is what all religions were attempting to point to but everyone got their head caught up their ass somehow and uh you know we get lost in the world of dogma with the mind attempts to make structure the mind attempts to uh make rules and laws when the great mystery itself is beyond it transcends the mind completely so it's uh yeah it's a tricky one <laughs> this is the thing,
0: it, i certainly don't want to take us down this path because it's it's a long long road discussing the, you know but <laughs> just discussing uh Borders, religion, you know, wh- why yeah. uh, why people from a certain religion uh, decide that they're going to hate everyone from another religion or why people from one country are going to hate everyone from another country based on what is essentially imaginary lines. I mean, these are these yeah. are all these are all uh, constructs you know, of the mind. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's I guess what freaking... we're trying to get at is, you know, if you really take the time and you take the effort and especially if you, you know, if you take DMT you're going to quickly see that all these uh, imaginary boundaries and constructs fall away very quickly.
1: (laughs) Very quickly, very, very quickly. And you know, when they do, it leaves, it leaves room for real experience. It leaves room for, you know, what was it? I think the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, he said, if you name me, you negate me. You know, once we give something, a definition, once we give something, a name, we limit it to that thing when everything is, you know, while every particle is a wave, you know, when not under observation, every light particle like, you know, exists as a wave and operates in a wave function to where it's multiple places at the same time. It's only when we give it attention where it kind of chooses its quantum location, which is super weird, but I don't even know where I was going with that, but yeah. I
0: think I, I, think I know because I think uh, <clears throat> it's, it's one of, you know, the things that I truly believe and that's that uh, science and religion are not mutually exclusive. And that you can have faith, and you can have spirituality, you can have science, and I honestly believe that, uh, through you know, you know, and I and I mean real empirical science, you can prove more and more that your spirituality is correct. You know that, yeah, that there are you know there is a higher power of some sort. You know, and, mm-hmm. I, and many of the of the thing you know the mythologies that humankind has had forever. You know we're you know we're a smart species you know we're we're all we're out here we're trying to figure it out i digress i just i did want to say that (laughs) i i felt like where you were going with that is the whole that science and religion and spirituality are not mutually exclusive and you know absolutely like i said that can be proved by having the the right experiences and you can can you Mm -hmm. you can maintain your faith and you can maintain you know any kind of uh religious congregation or group that you want to belong to you can have that and you can also believe yeah,
1: yeah.
0: in you know quantum physics. There's as yep I, there was I, I can't recall the name of this physicist, but there is one in particular, and he had a great quote. And he said, "The more that I learn about quantum physics, the more uh, religious I become." Because yeah, <laughs> hold up, it's time for an ad. Now, if you've been a longtime listener of the show, then you might remember Seth's power washing from episode one, and I'll tell you. The smartest thing Seth ever did, besides buying a power washer, was advertising on episode one of My Views Are My Own podcast. His business has literally doubled, and he has a new business partner named Garrett. So let me go ahead and just read this ad copy. Are you tired of your driveway looking dirty as shit? Then you need Seth's power washing. Formerly located beside the Shell station on Whitebridge Road in Nashville, Tennessee, and now relocated to beside the Shell station on Charlotte Pike. Thanks for writing me that ad copy, Seth. Uh, Short, eloquent, and to the point. Just how you would probably like your power washing project to go. Now, Seth's office is located at the picnic table in the parking lot beside the Shell station. However, the painting table technically belongs to Taco Tete, incidentally, my favorite taco truck, by the way. And if I might digress for one moment, one time I was waiting for my tacos over there and some obnoxious TikTokers showed up and they tried to do a prank on the kind and generous people that run Taco Tete. So you know what I did? I went over there and I told them to scram. Yeah, I did. Anyway. If you don't see Seth or Garrett at the picnic table, first thing you need to do is yell, Seth! Hey, Seth! If that doesn't work, then yell, Garrett! Hey, Garrett! Then use promo code, MyViewsAreMyOwn for 25% off your next power washing. Uh, One more thing. If Seth or Garrett asks to use your restroom, just say no. They know they're not supposed to ask, and I told him not to ask. And you tell them I told you that I told you to tell them no. And uh, now back to the interview, <laughs> uh, but uh, to talk more about uh, you know wh- what you do you know now for you know, for people and for other people to have this experience, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: can you describe to me a tondava like what a Tandava retreat is like? For instance, yeah. let's say like, uh, if I was a first time visitor, you know, what would be like a day in the life? Is that, that make sense? Is that like yeah. a good question?
1: So I'll give you kind of like a high level rundown of what it would be like if you booked a retreat. So let's say, um, let's say you were feeling called to work with this medicine. So how we work is we, we specialize in individual private containers. So we take up to five or six participants at our center at any time doing their own individual containers and the containers can be three days, five days, or seven days. So let's say you're feeling called to, uh, to do the medicine, you hop onto our site, you sign up for a five day retreat. Two weeks before, well, right after you sign up, we send you screening and intake. We make sure you're just medically and psychologically safe and sound to be working with this medicine. The last thing we ever wanna do is harm you. And so once we get that out of the way, then we start the preparation process. And the preparation process, first we'll send you a whole packet that's got lots of information and has journaling prompts. Those journaling prompts, they help us start to understand how we're gonna start to form your container. Because as I said, we're here to meet you where you're at. So some people are gonna be more receptive to more modern Western um, integrative practices. Some people are looking for that yogic experience. Some people are looking for a shamanic experience. So wherever they're at, we've got the right people for them for your experience. And um, we start prep. We uh, We start our online prep sessions about two weeks before you arrive and those are really designed around unpacking what's alive in your process seeing what may come up in your process seeing what you're working with seeing what you're looking to get rid of seeing look what you're looking to uh, accomplish and then tailoring your experience to your needs by the time you've gotten to the retreat you've got a bunch of information you've got a bunch of context do you know what you're working with we've already kind of started progress in one direction and uh you know in here at the center it's pretty amazing it's it's a beautiful beautiful location this is our mexico center that i'm at right now and um Just a completely beautiful, eternal land of spring. You know, beautiful flowers all over the place. Nice sun lounges to hang on. You know, just lots of just cushy things to lounge around on. Lots of little nooks to, you know, read, meditate. We have different integrative practices throughout the day. Yoga, meditation, um, you know, Wim Hof style breath work and morning practice and meditation. In the evenings, there's integration circles. There's guided meditations. uh, There's sound healing with crystal bowls, depending on what night it is. And, um, and then, you know, usually we like you to have at least one day to kind of soak in and, you know, feel out the land, get comfy in the center. Usually your next day here is gonna be your, uh, your first medicine experience. And so your first one is gonna be that, you know, that beautiful remembrance, that beautiful big wow. And, you know, from there, we will have a basic plan for your retreat, but your, you know, your whole protocol could shift right after your first experience, depending on where it goes but usually we have at least one or two more days uh, devoted to medicine. After that, where we'll work with the medicine in different ways throughout the week. Um, There's usually at least one or two days where we get out for a hike. We're surrounded with beautiful mountains. There's waterfalls, there's caves, there's swimming holes, cool vibes. This is one of, this is probably the safest part of Mexico too. And just a very pleasant place where everyone walks around. Everyone, everyone says hi.
0: I should ask a a, question. Where are you at right now? I I I just know you're in Mexico. I didn't even bother to ask where you're. Yeah. At.
1: So it's a uh, it's called Tepeztlan, uh, T E P O Z T L A N, and we're about 90 minutes south of Mexico City, and um, yeah, just a beautiful little tiny mountain town that's surrounded with really dramatic looking mountains. A uh, similar vibe to Sedona, Arizona, but really green and lush. I but love similar Sedona in the sense where this is an area where right
0: i'm originally from arizona and it's got a lot of oh nice a lot of places like if if you're describing a place that looks like sedona then i'm jealous i, I, I was je- i was getting jealous the whole time you were talking but then you're like and it looks like sedona and i was like man <laughs> i'm over imagine,
1: here imagine imagine sedona lush
0: i'm over here in like, nashville it's gonna start sleeting <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt oh, yeah. you man i just uh oh no you're all good oh good but yeah it's It's a beautiful area here. The mountains, you know, the mountains are very similar to Sedona, except they're covered with greenery. But, you know, like the big dramatic columns and the big rock faces and stuff, um, just really, really cool. And uh, so lots of good hikes, lots of indigenous history here. There's hidden pyramids, there's uh, pyramids you can hike to, Um, there's hidden petroglyphs from thousands of years ago. Um, But, you know, essentially here it's all about just creating a container where people can safely unfold. Where they can feel comfortable enough to give up control and be held through their experience, and to do this deep work. Because to do this deep work, you need to feel safe to surrender. So we do one to two follow up integration calls, and then we do an introduction call and introduce the participant to their integration specialist, who is chosen based on specific um, process. And uh, with that, then we, you know, they they when they work with their integration specialist for another four sessions then they have options to go on for another three months, six months, nine months, et cetera. But the idea is really getting the most out of your experience. You know, this being something that creates a lifetime change rather than it just fading away like a dream, just like you said before, where kind of, you know, we can have that glow right after an antiogenic experience. We can have that kind of shine that lingers away. As Daniel Schmidt says, you know, the perfume of the divine lingers longer as one evolves in the path. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, that, that feeling is kind of elusive and it it can fade away if we don't really properly integrate it into the individual daily life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that that makes a lot of sense too when you're saying like a a process of journaling uh leading up to the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know and I love like the emphasis on being in a place that a person can feel safe. So the the experience you're having is can be, you know, truly personal if it needs to be or not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I've had experiences. I I have one in particular. I think I've told it before on this podcast, but where I took a ton of mushrooms and then just, uh, I lost my friends that I was with and I didn't have a cell phone. All all I had was a skateboard and it was the middle of the summer and I was in, you know, I was in a downtown metropolis and I knew I was in for it. I knew, I, I knew I was in for, I knew I was in for at least seven hours. And, you know, it was like, 95 degrees, (laughs) humid, I was tripping. And, you know, it seemed like danger lurked around every corner, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, honestly, I don't want to discount it. I feel like there even as, as awful as that sounds, there might've been uh, in some ways, maybe, uh, maybe there was some benefits to that, you know, maybe just to give me a little, a little shake up, it it worked, (laughs) wouldn't do it again. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. (laughs) <laughs> uh but speaking of like that specifically man um you know because you, you can't control everything everything's always uh you know fluid and even as much as you try to make sure that everything's going to go smoothly uh maybe uh and I, i'm i not i don't know if if you've ever had really any difficult situations but you know what what is one of the most difficult difficult scenarios you might have to deal with at a tandava retreat like what is something that could be you know that would be you know, I'll okay. say, I'll
1: give two examples. I'll say in our retreats and I'll say what can happen normally. So we don't deal with a lot of incidents. Um, the only the only incident we've ever had at one of our retreats, and I've, we've served over 2,000 people in our retreats. We've only had one incident and it was due to a participant uh, not being completely truthful in her intake and hadn't shared with us that she'd been committed priorly um, and was in the process of a psychotic break unfolding due to traumatic memory uh, resurfacing. It ended up being a great experience. The retreat ended and we had to keep her there because we didn't feel comfortable with releasing her back into the wild. Um, but we ended up finding her the proper help. And it all, you know, was what needed to happen. These were experiences that were coming up that were suppressed from her childhood. Yeah. And um, but it resulted in a, it, it resulted in a pretty wild psychotic break. And it was uh, the scariest thing I've ever had to deal with as we had, you know, uh, a person, you know, attempting to escape because she thought she was being sold into sex trafficking and things like that. That yeah. was pretty wild. Um, but that's again, something that could have been prevented with, um, we, we really, uh, took some charge in reshaping our integra- our, uh, our intake and screening process then and, and began uh, asking a few more questions, but you know, one of the big things that you see in a lot of other, um, with a lot of other people who do this medicine is people just having a lot of trouble integrating it and having a hard time after this is a very powerful experience. And in my opinion, it deserves a multi-day container. A lot of times you just have cowboy, you know, quote unquote, shaman, people that just want to call themselves a shaman who are skating from town to town and just serving people this medicine and just cracking them open and then just, you know, skating away. And, you know, a lot of times there'll be no preparation. There'll be no, you know, they won't even attempt to learn the person's name and they'll give this person a medicine, you know, this substance. And if you don't have some sort of idea that the mind can shut down and come back on, if you don't have some sort of frame of reference that there's something beyond our own individual self, then you know when all of a sudden your mind starts dissolving away, naturally it's gonna fight for survival. The mind is gonna think that, oh my God, if I go any farther, I'm gonna die. Or if I go any farther, I'm never coming back. So a person fights the experience tooth and nail and they pull themselves out of it. The nervous system then in turn gets stuck essentially in fight or flight and they have PTSD-like symptoms for the next few months you know, being brought back into the experience day and night, uncontrollably, not being able to sleep, feeling like they're going crazy. It's a really wild medicine. One that is definitely not recommended um, doing by yourself or not doing with professionals. You know, we always say research your practitioner. If someone's going to serve you, look them up, find out who they served, um, see what their preparation process is, see what their integration process is. If they don't have a plan to get you ready and to help you unpack it, do not sit with them under any means. And um, also, you know, ask them what they're going to do to keep you safe. You know, make sure that they set a safe space. A lot of practitioners serve people standing up. And, you know, we see injuries from that. They serve them near water and people drown. Just a lot of, you know, things that can be easily avoided if uh, with a little bit of care.
0: I mean, and just, you know, in common parlance in in the United States, it happens every day. And that's just, you know, just called a bad trip. Uh, because, yep. you know, what it is is, you're serving yourself or, you know, you might go, you know, somebody sells you whatever, you know, some LSD or some mushrooms and you eat them. And maybe you've got some unresolved trauma. Maybe you've got a, an attachment to your ego. That is to where when you, when, yeah, when it starts to feel like it's falling away, then it creates a panic, you know, like a panic attack because you feel like you are dying or, you know, like, or you think you're never going to come back. You're like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, that you're falling into an abyss. You know, that's, those are all like, yeah potential consequences of you know doing it the recreational way i guess I don't know how to put it.
1: <laughs> yeah 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 exactly yeah it said you know this one and eboga are the two that just generally should never be done recreational it's just uh
0: and i i guess so moving away from that i just you know i was curious if you know because i know there's there's got to be challenges but there's oh, also yeah. got to be uh there has to be so many things that are very re- re- rewarding about it and yeah, I was gonna ask you, like you know what is one of the foremost uh, meaningful or you know transformative stories that has happened at a Tondava retreat?
1: Oh man, you know, every single time, every single participant, I just watching them in their in their process is always a reminder to me why we do this work. You know, any participant, you know, at the tail end of their journey, when they're when we're serving the medicine, at the tail end of their journey, there is this recognizable state of peace on their face. And when we know, you know, everything they've been bringing to the table, all the traumas they've been going through, like all the suffering they're experiencing, and you can see it fully alleviated, that is the most rewarding thing ever. And it's so visibly apparent on their face. Um, We've had participants come, you know, grieving the loss of, you know, an infant child and, you know, watch the mother, you know, right in the middle of ceremony, completely go through cathartic release, And fully let out all the, you know, all the emotion that she was storing up, let out everything. And then, you know, cry for for a while after just saying, I finally feel free. Thank you. You know, and just, and just at peace, you know, there is seemingly with, you know, the energetic resonance or spirit or consciousness or whatever we want to call it of that deceased infant, you know, but just getting to experience it and then fully releasing it and then her going through full cathartic release. And, you know, they don't call this stuff 15 years of therapy in 15 minutes for no reason. Yeah, Two of our last retreat participants that have just come in the past two months, two of our last participants have both been struggling with treatment-resistant depression, both for over 30 years. And they've seen, you know, both of them were at the end of their rope, tried every type of psychotherapy. Both of them are, I mean, on top of the world right now. The type of change we get to see is just, it's wowing because, you know, so much, so many of our issues, so much of our suffering comes from the underlying feeling of feeling separate or not worthy or not enough and to truly experience yourself as everything as all totality is the ultimate way to realize that you are worthy so it's uh it's very beautiful to watch
0: you know you're just making me think too like <clears throat> how incredibly valuable this would be uh if this could be something that we finally you know, as a society we decide all right well that it's worth it for us to to make these changes you know uh stop trying to outlaw nature you know in the first place yeah. and but uh you know the thing that comes to mind for me and i'm speaking from uh you know I, I grew up in uh like the park by my house was full of uh homeless vietnam veterans and i used to go hang out with those guys all yeah. the time and as a matter of fact like they would uh, you know i'd go over there and you know i'd bring my you know few bucks and like i'd buy them like i'd give them money and i'd buy them a 40 and they'd buy me a 40 you know <laughs> And we'd sit around and we'd drink beer and shit. Yeah, yeah. But those, yeah. Guys, you know, but those guys were, they were fucked up. You know, they were they were not having a good life and they were all dying young and they were homeless. They were being mistreated by the police and not just the police, but, you know, like the just society in general. Of course. And we have a whole, you know, we just had another war that just ended and there's a ton of guys out here that, are, you know, got PTSD and I don't want to get, you know, too deep into this. I'm not, this is not my realm. You know, I don't, I don't work with soldiers, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there's so many Guys out here uh dealing with PTSD that are you know just what you're talking about, like uh working with yeah. different psychedelics, microdosing, uh other kinds of you know, ways you can use this medicine and coming out of it and being able to like reclaim their lives. And oh uh, yeah,
1: our head chef, our head our head chef is a combat vet and uh you know, went through serious PTSD for two for decades and uh you know found his healing through through this. And it's you know, it's just remarkable to see what this can do for you know demographics that are hurting so deeply and in such untreatable ways and it's so great that there's so many different organizations right now um you know like wounded hearts and all these different ones that are really popping up and and doing it right for the veterans and uh yeah that's I mean especially with PTSD it's going to be really that's going to be one of the things that helps really I don't normalize these medicines into society um you know especially with MDMA it's 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 how we start to uh you know, make right for all the wrong that's been done.
0: You know, and that's uh, I, I think it's partially on my mind right now. I'm, I'm reading a book called The Grizzly Years it's by this guy named Doug mm. Peacock. It's a very fascinating book. It's uh, it's he, there's no psychedelics involved, but he was a Vietnam veteran. He came back and just wasn't readjusting into society, and he just decided to go and just follow and follow grizzly bears and kind of live near them, mm. camp near them for years. And now you know he's considered one of the. Oh, uh, I remember him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's considered one of the, uh, nowadays, like, I think he's, like, considered the number one expert on grizzly bears. Uh, That's a long, Mm. arduous process that he took to, he was, you know, he was a Green Beret medic. So, he saw some of the absolute worst shit you can see in Vietnam. So, clearly, it's going to take some time. But, you know, we got a lot of, you know, a lot of young guys now, and, you know, not everyone is going to be able to go have that. I mean, that's, you know, that's a extraordinarily unique experience that someone can have uh, definitely but it's amazing you know that there there are tools you know and there's there's ways that this can happen but yeah, i didn't mean to yeah, go exactly. i didn't mean to go so far down that road i just
1: <laughs> some of this, it's been on my mind recently it's, it's I'm a in good the road
0: book, you know oh, yeah. oh <laughs> it's yeah this healing process but Joel, i have to tell you this dude we're getting dangerously close to the lightning round Uh, I have to explain it to you. The lightning round for this podcast is kind of the game section. It's basically where instead of me just asking you a question and being thoughtful about it, uh, it's a little bit faster. Ask questions a little bit faster. Uh, try not to think too hard about it. Maybe try and make a gut reaction and just off the top of your head. And that's what's fun about it. So does that sound good? I got got a few here for you. Let's do it. All right. Lightning round. (laughs) All right. First one, man, uh, your favorite author on the subject of plant medicine.
1: Oh man, on the subject of plant medicine, I was going to say Adyashanti, but he doesn't really involve any medicine, but somehow his writing is more relevant to plant medicine work than any of the plant medicine authors. Um, so I'd say Adyashanti still. <laughs> Ooh,
0: uh, uh, could you spell that for me and for uh, all the listeners? Yeah.
1: A-D-Y-A-S-H-A-N-T-I.
0: All right. Hell yeah. And it's pronounced Adyashanti?
1: Yeah, yeah. Amazing author. But his work on, you know, kind of spiritual emergence and the whole process is extremely relevant to what we go through integrating plant medicine work.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm gonna put that on hold of the library. Uh, as soon as I finish this grizzly bear book. man. <laughs> yes. I uh, Now this is just kind of a silly question, but I, I'm curious on your opinion. Uh, movie with the most well done scene of a psychedelic trip.
1: Oh man, you know, I don't know if I've ever seen any scene that had a good psychedelic trip in it.
0: I feel like I, I can everyone a few always that were
1: pretty well done, but 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 you go ahead. I'm not trying to interject my shit. I honestly can't think of one. Man, am I am I tripping?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh I saw something that, uh, recently that this is, I do not want to, I'm not going on record as saying this is the best that, that I, this would be the answer to the question. I just thought it was very well done. It was a, uh, you know, a uh, guy, Ritchie, that British.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, he yeah, did yeah. like
0: a uh, snatch and, mm-hmm. and it, he made the new King Arthur movie. Uh, oh. And there's a scene in it. It's a very, it's a, it's a very short scene. Uh, and it's not, it's not a real, it's a, it's an imaginary magic hallucinogen from like the King Arthur days. It's, it's from the movie King Arthur, and they they have him. He gets uh, bit by a serpent that has like some kind of venom that's supposed to like show him the truth, and mm-hmm. so he's like riding a, a horse through the forest by himself, and the trees are kind of coming to life and looking at him. And I, I just I, I thought it was really well done. I was like, well, no, that's nice. That's pretty close to something that could totally happen, but.
1: Nice. Yeah, so are
0: you are you going to hit pass? You're not, not going to give anybody. No,
1: I'd, I'd say maybe the one scene in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where he's on the payphone and the and the design on the carpet, the floral design on the carpet, is creeping up his shoes. That was always the most relatable to me.
0: Joel, well, that was exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. That is the correct <laughs> answer. That's why this is the game part <laughs> of the. I, I was like, I was like, I hope he says Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I mean, first of all, c- classic film. I mean, not Lord. some of the shit's silly, like where he like uh he's tripping. He checks into the hotel, and the the concierge's head turns into an eel. Very, very <laughs> not real, but yeah, uh, but yeah, like a lot of that, like that carpet where it's like moving and doing weird shit. Mm. That's come on, that's good.
1: <laughs> oh, definitely.
0: Uh, this is uh here. This is like a little bit of a health question, man. Uh, yeah, I've been traveling traveling a lot lately, so this is something kind of on my mind. And, you know, it's holiday season, so a lot of people will be traveling. So this could be helpful. Uh, let's just say, like, hypothetically, you're traveling, you've got five minutes to do some yoga. Uh, what are you going to choose to do? You only got five minutes before like, your next flight oh, or man. train or whatever.
1: I'm gonna do a little bit of a little bit of stretching. It depends on what I'm feeling. It depends on how I'm feeling. If my body's in a lot of uh, pain, then uh, then I'll do some stretching. You know, just some basic kind of opening up of the hips, legs, you know, shoulders, stuff like that. Just some, just some gentle gentle stretches and yoga. They would call it asana. Um, if my body was feeling fine, but my mind was feeling a little turbulent, I'd do some meditation. Um, if I was feeling that I needed focus, I would do some left nostril breathing. If I was feeling I needed relaxation i'd do right nostril breathing so it really depends
0: i've never heard of that of the nostril breathing and i've actually like uh i've been more and more trying to get into some breathing practices but i was not familiar with uh the left right uh deal
1: yeah so left nostril will um inhale breathing in and out of the left nostril will will stimulate the right side of the brain and vice versa
0: i was like i was just doing it while you were talking
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or so they say, you know, whether it's physical or whether it's only energetic, who the hell knows. <laughs> all
0: right, and this is a question I have asked before on this podcast, but I'm, all, I'm always curious to hear like uh, different opinions on it, man. And this is, uh, what do you think? And this is, I understand this is a, could be a silly question, but also I think it could be a serious question. What do you think is the best place to meditate uh, given these two choices, the beach or the mountains?
1: Oh, man, you know, it's funny. I've always lived near the oceans, kind of like my whole life. And now I, for the first time, don't live near the ocean. I live in the mountains. And so, you know, they're both pretty prime. They're both pretty amazing. I'd say for for sunset, I'd hit up a beach, you know, a beach meditation is classic during sunset. Sunrise on a mountain peak is pretty ridiculous meditation. Um, And again, it would really kind of depend. Sometimes my meditation, I want to feel protected i want to feel contained sometimes i want to feel expansive so i guess it could speak to either but i love both i i yeah. guess these days i don't really get much ocean time so it's all it's all mountain meditation now
0: <laughs> you really can't go wrong man unless you're like at a right? unless you're at panama city beach during spring break man you can't <laughs> meditate there dude that's that's awful <laughs> you're gonna send some broken glass <laughs> all right. exactly. joel man I, exactly. and the most important question i gotta ask you today dude is uh Yo, uh, how can people, uh, uh, find you, check you out, check out, uh, like what you do, check out these retreats. Like how can this all be found?
1: Yeah. So our website is tandabaretreats.com. That's T-A-N-D-A-V-A retreats.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm Joel, the entheogenic yogi, and there's underscores that separate all those words. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to hear from any of you. So always feel free to reach out.
0: Oh yeah, and also, uh, just for everyone that already follows me, man, to be easy, just if uh, you just go click on my shit, then click, and it will link you directly to Joel. Yo, Very man, great. this was this has been a fantastic conversation, and you really thank cheered you, me likewise. up because I have to go do an event tonight that I was kind of bummed about, but now, <laughs> but now I'm in a great mood. No, I'm actually, I'm like you, you elevated my mood
1: like quite a bit. So Very thank sure. you so much, Joel. Thank you, Doug. Great to be on here, brother.
0: All right, man. Have a great night.
1: Hey, likewise. You take it easy.
0: Peace.